Well, good morning. Uh, I learned this week that Mother's Day was actually established in 1914. And uh, while I am certainly not opposed to having a, a holiday that's designated to celebrate moms, I hope that, that Mother's Day is not the only day that we celebrate the gift of a good mother. That would really be a tragedy. And, and sadly, if there's one attitude that families are in general guilty of when it comes to mom, it's the attitude of presumption, taking a mom for granted. And to, to be honest, most of us simply do not have any understanding or total appreciation of the kind of uh, burdens, the type of, type of cares and concerns that, uh, that moms carry in their arms and in their hearts. Uh, one Mother's Day card that I looked at recently has a, a little boy, and he's standing in the kitchen with his mother. And he says, forget the housework, Mom. It's your day. Besides, you can always do double duty and catch up on Monday. <laughs> I hope none of you moms get a card like that. You deserve a break far up more often than you get it. So here at Crossroads, for several months now, we have been going through the book of Romans, and next week we are going to be back in the book of Romans, chapter 15, and I'm excited about that. We're kind of coming to a, a close in Romans and going to tie some things up. But this morning, I really feel convicted and challenged. I've been encouraged, I believe, by the Holy Spirit uh, to do a message that really is geared towards encouraging moms. And um, the truth is this morning that we're going to look at a very simple, a very basic truth from Scripture that I hope will be of great encouragement to all moms that are here. And the good thing is that this truth, this uh, biblical truth that we're going to look at, has just as many implications for any of us, not just for moms. And so I hope that you'll be encouraged. The fantastic truth that we're going to explore this morning is actually found all over the pages of Scripture. But this morning, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles or you have a device, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 12. And I want you to know that this biblical truth that we're going to look at is so significant and so important that we're going to try, I'm going to try, to do my best to be as simple and as clear as I can to just simply Hold this truth up out of the scripture and allow you to see it as clearly as you can. And my prayer for those of you that maybe when you hear this truth, maybe you would say, I've never really heard that or understand it. My hope is that you would grab onto this biblical truth like it was a priceless gemstone that somebody just entrusted to you. Many of us that are here this morning have heard this truth that we're going to look at many, many times before. But what we do is we kind of put it away in a place that's safe and secure, and, and we, it loses its power. It loses its significance. And so if, if you've known this truth before, but yet you've kind of tucked it away somewhere, my prayer for us this morning is that we will get it out and, again, hold it up to the light and look at it from very different angles and, and really be uh, appreciative of the truth that, that, uh, that we're going to look at. Found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Listen as I read. The Apostle John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Contained within these six simple verses is a truth that has the power to encourage and strengthen all moms no matter where they live. It has the the power literally to transform each and every one of our lives. And I'm really looking forward this morning to unpacking that truth with you. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about mothers for a few minutes in order that we can make the point that we all need to understand this truth that we're going to look at this morning, found all over the Bible, but in particular this morning in 1 John chapter 4. I want to start this morning by saying that I realize that each and every one of us here this morning, we've had a different experience with our mothers. For some, it's been a very, very positive experience. We've got moms that that we love and we appreciate that have just done an excellent job caring for us. And for some, there are are times where our mothers are, are less than what God's design has been. Some of our mothers are still alive, and we're grateful for that. And others, uh, we grieve because mothers have gone on uh, before us. Each and every mother is incredibly unique. They come in a, a variety of shapes and sizes. Their personalities and their approaches to raising their children and the task of being moms are literally as diverse as their hairstyles. Likewise, no two mothers have ever had the same exact experience as a mother. For some, being a mother is a source of great, great joy, and and that they enjoy that role to the fullest. And for others, even though there's a lot of joy involved, there's also a tremendous amount of pain and sorrow for, for whatever reason. I want you to know this morning that as I talk about moms, my comments are about moms in the general sense. I want to be sure that you're aware that I understand that your personal experience with your mom may not be exactly what I I reference as I talk about moms. I also want you to know that if you're a mother here, I'm aware that your experience as a mom might be a little different than the words that I use to describe motherhood uh, in general. But with that said, To every single mother that is here this morning, no matter whether your children are still in your home or whether they've moved on to create homes of their own, I want you to know that you play one of the most significant roles in our society. And I mean that as sincerely as I can say it. And when I say that moms play a significant role in our society, that's not to demean the role of fathers in our society. God's really, really good design is that a child is raised in a family where there's a a father and a mother. But where in the world would we be as a society without mothers? 
seriously, moms wear so many hats. She wears the hat of master chef, schedule organizer. At times, she wears the hat of cheerleader and counselor. Sometimes, she wears the hat of referee. Some of you moms know about that. Moms often wear the hat of a nurse, of a tutor, of a taxi driver, and of a financier. When a a mother becomes a grandmother, she begins to care for a whole new generation through her support and her encouragement. Moms literally all over the world shape the character of their children. Many of them are the very first to introduce their kids to the grace and the love that God has for them. All kinds of moms teach their children about honesty, about the importance of following through on commitments. With every single hug, with every single encouraging word, with every single lesson that's taught or Bible story that is read, moms are making a difference in their families and in our community and in our world in a way that no one else can. Often with very little recognition and thanks. Moms, you truly are world changers. Now, the positive impact that you mothers have on our society and in your family, as you know, does not come without a price. Mothers make incredible, incredible sacrifices for their children. First of all, mothers sacrifice their physical bodies. Birth moms literally carry their children within their own bodies for up to nine months. And maybe you've heard pregnancy and delivery is not at all for the faint of heart. I can tell you this with as much certainty as I'm standing here today. If a dad had to carry a child and deliver that child, there would be far fewer children in our world. I'll guarantee you that. Moms also sacrifice their energy. Moms give their energy to all kinds of things. They uh, have diapers to change, meals to make, clothes to wash, children to bathe, homework to help with. They uh, have practices that they drive to and from. Often all of these responsibilities have to be balanced with other roles that they play in life, maybe as as a mother and uh, as someone who has uh, an employer. Maintaining other relationships all the while. The demands that life throws at a mom are incredible. And all of these are challenging enough if you're married and you have a a, a partner in the deal. But some moms do it alone. Moms sacrifice a lot of sleep. They tell me, the internet does, that, that families, parents can expect to have six years of some sort of disrupted sleep when you bring a child into that family. And then once that child reaches teenage years, about the time that your sleep becomes less disrupted, it becomes disrupted again because your child is a teenager, and that has all sorts of of implications of its own. Moms sacrifice their time. Uh, She spends her time doing and serving and caring for others above herself. The physical and emotional needs of her family are met first. And lastly, I'll mention that moms oftentimes sacrifice many of their own personal ambitions and goals in life. The list could go on and on and on. While being a blessing and being a mother is is a blessing, 
It involves a great deal of work and a great deal of sacrifice. I would suggest to you today that if you are here this morning and you have a mom even remotely close to what I have just simply described, if she's still alive, I would encourage you not only on a day like today, but regularly let her know how much you appreciate her. If you've had a mom like this and, and, and she's no longer with you, take time to thank God regularly for the impact of your mom on your life. Life and times can be a struggle for every single person in the world, but moms face a number of pretty common struggles. Moms, I believe the primary struggle that you deal with as a mom is the pressure that you put on yourself to be a perfect mom. For one reason or another, it seems that most moms, no matter how good of a mom they are, they never feel like they're doing enough or doing a good enough job as a mother. This kind of pressure starts with new moms, and we've got a number of new moms with us this morning. They're confronted right out of the gate with a long list of do's and don'ts that all the so-called experts are challenging them with. They have pressure as to whether they should bottle feed or breastfeed their children. They have pressure on how and when they should actually sue the crying baby. New moms have to ma manage the real and the managed expectations of their mother and perhaps even a mother-in-law. Moms who work outside the home feel guilty for doing so. Moms who stay at home and do not work outside the home feel guilty for doing so. Moms also tend to compare themselves to the job that other mothers are doing. And this often leads to an increased feeling of dissatisfaction, of, of not quite measuring up. Many moms struggle simply with regrets of things that they have either done or not done as a mom. All these struggles leaves moms, many moms, uh, feeling that they just don't add up as a mother. That's a heavy load for a mom to carry. Every mother carries her own unique fears and anxieties and struggles and regrets. And deep down, moms, like most human beings, at some level feel like they have pressure to perform. Moms, that's where our text from 1 John can be so helpful to you and to the rest of us this morning. We don't often think about it, but every one of us here this morning has been born into and grown up in a performance-based society. What do I mean by that? I mean that in general, we've all grown up in a culture that tempts us to believe that our value as individuals is connected and tied in some way to our performance. It's based on what we do or don't do, or what we do or don't produce. And we experience this from very, very early on in life. A young child, when they behave well, is typically given some amount of positive affirmation or praise. And when they misbehave, they uh, are given some sort of discipline or correction. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for positive affirmation, and I'm absolutely for discipline and consequences. The problem with it is this, that it's all too easy to attach our value as individuals with the response of our parents. 
When we're praised, we feel loved and accepted. When we're disciplined, we can feel even like we're a disappointment to our family. This performance-based mindset is often reinforced in many other areas. In school, you'll notice when you get a, a, do a good job on your paper, you get a sticker, usually a smiley face. Uh, if you do well, you get a, a good grade. You might get uh, your name on the honor roll, a gold cord at graduation. When you underperform and you don't add up, you get to stay in at recess and do the assignment that you didn't get done earlier. Uh, you might get a bad grade on your report card. And uh, that doesn't generate a lot of praise when mom and dad see that. Sports is the same kind of way. If you're good at sports, you get uh, cheered on and the coach and the, the people are, are excited about what you're doing. Uh, if not, you, you don't get to play or you might even be cut from the team. In our friendships and in our job, all these things are similar. When you perform, you get positive affirmation. And when you don't, uh, you feel bad about what other people think about you. I'm not at all an everybody gets a trophy kind of guy. I don't think it ought to work that way. However, if we're not careful, and this is the point I want to make, we can believe the lie that our value as people, our worth as individuals is based on and linked to our performance. That's the kind of society that we have been brought up in. The biggest danger... By far, the biggest danger of living in a performance-based society is that it tempts us to believe that God's love for us is also performance-based. That God loves us more when we do good, and he loves us less when we fail. And the result of that kind of thinking takes us down two different paths. The first path is to consistently feeling like we're a huge disappointment to God, and therefore, maybe even unloved by God. The second path we might take would be feeling constant pressure to continue to perform well for God so that he will continue to love us. And this produces a great deal of fear and resentment. Church, down deep, most people live with the belief, even though it's not true, that you have to work to earn God's love. And that's an absolute lie. Moms, here's the super, super encouraging point that I don't want you to miss this morning. And this is the point that I don't want any of us to miss this morning. The love of God is not based on our performance. God's love for us is not performance-based. Take another look at, at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. The Apostle John tells us that love comes from God. Love comes from God. It's important to note that God's love is a love that initiates. It's never a love in response. God's love initiates. It's not a love in response. This truth alone destroys any thought that we must perform in order to earn God's love or to get God to love us more or to get God to keep loving us. God's love is not based on what we do and it's not based on what we don't do. It's not based on how often we go to church. 
God's love is not based on how often we pray. God's love is not based on how many rules we follow or how many rules we break. It's not based on anything that we bring to the table. It's so hard to believe, but that's the truth. Take a look at the very end of verse 8. It simply says, God is love. God not only knows how to love, God is himself the very definition of love. He's a definition of perfect and complete love. Everything he does and allows is in some way consistent with his love for us, and yet it's not based on what we deserve. It's based on his grace. In other words, and listen to this, there is literally nothing that you can do to get God to love you more tomorrow than he already loves you today. There is nothing you can do to get God to love you less than he already loves you today. Listen to that one more time. There's literally nothing you can do to get God to love you more tomorrow than he already does today. And there's nothing you can do to cause God to love you less tomorrow than he already does today. That's amazing. What kind of a God offers that kind of love? So how much love does God offer? 1 John chapter 4 tells us. Look at verses 9 and 10. The apostle John says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10 says, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love compelled him, in other words, to give everything he could give to us. He gave his one and only son. He sent Jesus into this world so that Jesus could die on a cross for each and every one of us. Jesus loved us enough that he was actually willing to go to the cross and take our guilt, take our shame, take the, the punishment for the sins that we deserved. So you tell me, how could God more fully have demonstrated his love for us than to send his one and only son to be sacrificed in our place? What could God have done more to prove his unconditional love for us? Hold that truth up and, and turn it around and, and look at it from every angle. Let it take hold of your heart. Let it free you from feeling like there are things that you need to stay in the good graces of God or that there's things that you need to do to get God to love you. It doesn't work that way. God's love is freely offered. It's an act of grace. It's undeserved. And yet, it's not an I'll love you if kind of love. It's not I'll love you if you're a good person. I'll love you if you stop doing this or that. That's not how it works. Some of you, Maybe you've been in a I love you if relationship. Maybe you grew up in a home where your parent had an I love you if kind of love. 
if you did what you were supposed to, you felt loved by that parent. Maybe you've been married to an I love you if spouse. As long as all the plates are spinning and everything is going well, you feel loved by that spouse. Maybe you work for an I love you if kind of a boss. Or maybe you've been in any kind of a relationship where there are strings and conditions attacks, stuff you must do or perform in order to be loved. When we are in those relationships and we perform, we feel loved. When we're in an I love you if relationship and we don't perform, we are often met with criticism or rejection or a look of disappointment. Church, that's not how God loves. It's not how he works. Well, someone might ask, do we have to clean up our act first before we can receive God's love? Nope. Romans 5.8, the Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we moved toward God, before we performed in any way, Jesus went to the cross so that he could extend us his grace and his love. Again, he initiated offering his love. He doesn't ask anyone to fill out some sort of an application to be good enough to receive his love. He doesn't uh, ask us to to see our resume with three glowing uh, letters of reference. While we were at our very worst, Jesus died for us. What kind of a God does that? Church, over the years, I've spoken to a large number of people who, if they were really honest, they would tell you that they feel like they must get their life in order before they will be good enough to receive God's love. And the Bible in 1 John 4 and in many, 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 many other places tells us that is simply not true. In fact, we're not capable of getting our lives in order on our own. We don't have to attempt to earn God's love, and we couldn't anyway, even if we tried. It's a gift of grace to be received. Grace is often described as God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, and God's grace makes absolutely no human sense. It's totally unnatural. God loves us with a kind of love we will experience nowhere else. You see, love is literally built into everything God does. And that's precisely why why it's unconditional. If God's love were conditional, we would have to earn it. We would have to do something to deserve it. We would have to somehow Uh, clean up ourselves or, or make our messed up selves right with God on our own merits. And that's impossible. The biblical message, the gospel, what we talk about a lot here at Crossroads is motivated by love, moved unconditionally. God saved his people from their sins. Moms, this morning, that means... That no matter how you feel about the job that you've done, no matter about the the failures that are real or the perceived failures that you have as a mother, God is not mad 
at you. God is not in any way ashamed of you. God loves you regardless of how you feel about yourself. God's approval is not in any way dependent on your good or your bad choices. God's love does not fluctuate from day to day based on how good or how bad you perform. Your standing with God is based entirely on his perfect love and not your performance. That's true for moms, and that's true for every single one of us here this morning. So is God's love secure, or will it be here one day and gone the next? I'm glad to tell you that God's love is not like an NFL football. You've seen an NFL football in a game, you'll notice that there are times where that football is stripped away from the hands of a receiver, a quarterback, or a running back. It's not like that. Sometimes you'll see the the receiver, the quarterback, or the running back just simply lose grip on the, the ball and fumble it. God's love is not like an NFL football. In the book of Romans, we're told that there is absolutely nothing Nothing in heaven or on earth that can separate us from the love of God once God's people have received it. This is a truth that we all need to be reminded of frequently. But I have to believe that there are some of you here this morning that really need to grab hold of what I'm talking about, what uh, the Apostle John is teaching here, and, and grab onto this truth. Friends, our value as people comes only from God. Our worth comes from God and not from ourselves or anything that we do. This truth frees us in an amazing way to simply relax and enjoy being the person that God has created us to be, to simply do our best and allow God to take care of the rest. This is true for you students who are getting ready to finish another school year. This is uh, true for you adults who at times are wondering, do I really have what it takes to be a success in this relationship or in this job situation that I'm in? This applies to some of us who are a little farther along in years and kind of look back over our lives and we wonder, uh, have we really done enough? This is certainly true. If you're a mother here today and you're not always sure about the the job that you're doing, praise God that our value as people is not based on our performance. It's based on God's perfect love that makes uh, it possible, made possible by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Church, as I close this morning, I'm aware that many of you, perhaps most of you have heard the truth that God's love is not performance-based very often. My fear is that at times it does not go from our head to our heart. And as I close, the band can come up. They're going to lead us in a final song. But, but as I close, I want to pray and ask God to move that truth, either for the very first time or, or remind us, if we've grabbed onto this in the past, to move this truth from our heads to our hearts 
where we can really believe it. Before I pray, I want to clarify one final little thought. This morning, I've said a lot about receiving God's love and the fact that we don't earn it. Well, some of you might uh, be wondering, well, does that mean that God doesn't really care how we live? Well, that's absolutely not true. God does care how we live. And in verse 11 of our text today, it says, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Clearly, God has a desire for us to be people that are focused on loving him and loving others in the way that he has loved us. Uh, The Uh, God's love and grace, though, are based on his character, not because of anything we we deserve. Followers of Jesus do not love in order to be loved. We love because we know we are loved. Let me pray, and then the band will lead us in a closing song. Lord, I'm so thankful for your timeless, um, never-changing word. I thank you for the Apostle John and, and uh, for the book of First John that, that we can look at again this morning and just be reminded that not only are you a God of love, you are the very definition of perfect love. And Lord, I am aware that um, each and every one of us has been raised in this culture of ours that uh, in one way or another, subtly and not so subtly tells us that our, our, our value as people is based on our performance, on how good we are, on what we can accomplish. And Lord, we know that to be a, a lie. And uh, I pray that in the areas of our lives, whether for the first time or, or once again, Lord, uh, maybe you need to refresh this in our minds, that you will help us leave here this morning with, with our hands gripped tightly to the truth, that, uh, that you love us based on your love and on your grace and on your mercy. And Lord, if there will be anybody here this morning that has never for the first time really truly experienced or understood what that is, I, I pray that they would just open their hearts up to you. I know that your Holy Spirit will knock on their hearts and, uh, and uh, invite them to receive you, to put their trust and their faith in you, uh, to surrender their lives to you in a, in a beautiful way that, again, just frees them for the first time to, to experience your love. For those of us that have already done that, Lord, may we walk in that, may we live in that, may we evaluate the way we interact with our world based on how much of it is is trying to in some way earn the love and respect of others or even love and respect from you. Lord, would you, would you strip that away from our hands and, and in place uh, put your, your love and the, the truth that your love is, is not based on our performance or anything we can do. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to sing this closing song to you and uh, to worship you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.